Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I'm Mari Forth. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. Subscribe to our feed at robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed to get your true crime on Tuesdays. We also drop in the RHAP main feeds on Wednesday. Yeah, fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. So Mari, we've got some feedback from last week's episode, Captive Audience. Yes. And Natasha wrote us a very nice email. Starts off, love the podcast, exclamation mark. So if you don't, please start your emails with that. That's brilliant. Natasha has shown you the way. As soon as I heard RHAP was doing a true crime podcast, I knew I had to subscribe. Uh, here's my feedback on this week's case. So that's captive audience. I first heard about this case recently, only last year, through a true crime YouTube channel. And what happened to the Stainer family is pretty remarkable. Yeah, you're not wrong. I had no idea that this was a movie made, so framing the documentary around that was interesting. However, if I wasn't familiar with Stephen's case or his brothers, I don't think this documentary would have been the best place to learn about them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, I would have liked to know more about what happened to Timmy White. Uh, Well, poor old Timmy died at a very young age, uh, 35, of heart heart failure. Yeah. He became a sheriff. And then he died of uh, heart failure at uh, 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 an embolism, I think it was, uh, at the age of 35, like really young. 
she goes on, however, I guess that that was the point of the series, though. It was focused on the media surrounding the Stainer family. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very insightful, Natasha. I did like the inclusion of his children and getting their perspectives. Overall, I'd give it a 3.5 out of 5 magnifying glasses. So, Natasha, they're right on the magnifying glass rating, and that lines up with uh, my rating, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natasha also has a recommendation, but I will save that for our recommendations section. So, uh, Murray, what are we talking about today? All right. Uh, thank you, Natasha, for that. We love getting feedback. So always feel free to email us at crimescenerhap um, at gmail.com. Right. Um, yeah. And we'll read it on the show. But today, <laughs> let's open <laughs> today's file. We watched Keep Sweet. Pray and Obey on Netflix. It's a four-part part docuseries directed by Rachel Dretson and Grace McNally. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, today. Uh, <laughs> but first, let's welcome the Survivor Diversity Campaigner, a reality TV commenter, crime scene's own cult correspondent, Gia Worthy. Gia, welcome Yay! to the podcast. Oh my God, if I had more space on my bio, I would definitely be adding that, the cult correspondent. <laughs> it's like such an honor. Yes, Gia, we, we, we heard you like cults. So, I mean, we had to have you on this one. <laughs> I will say, I don't like, I'm not pro cults. I do not wish we had more cults uh, like around. But I, in terms of my area of true crime interest, yes, cults are where my interests lie. Some people like serial killers. Some people Mm -hmm. like, you know, like the missing persons ones or the heists or whatever. And I just, I have so much fascination around the ideology and the world of cults, like how they are created, how they indoctrinate people into their belief system. And, um, you know, and on a hopeful end, people rebuilding their lives, uh, like what we saw some semblance of in this mm-hmm. documentary theory about how, you know, people are able to learn to kind of build their lives after leaving the cult. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's almost so. So is that your true crime origin story? Like, did you get interested in true crime? Because what, what was the first cult you heard of? I guess. I, I guess it would. I guess it depends who you ask because um, this is, well, so there's always been this debate around like, what's the difference between a religion and a cult? So, you know, like what, what takes something something from, what takes something from uh, a religion, like a principle of belief and then going into like what makes it a cult and as someone that went to catholic school for you mm. know from kindergarten to eighth grade so a very long time mm-hmm. uh this is like the questions of like the ethics of religion has always been something that is that resonated with me even when mm. i did not i no longer went to catholic school but there was like always that interest of religion as like a a social construct, like different Mm -hmm. types of religions, what belief systems are within each religion. And then, you know, I think part of it is like also the reality TV fan with me. I'm very Mm -hmm. interested in social interactions with people and how people build societies and how they create these worlds. And then obviously the most, I would argue the most extreme example of that would be a cult. And a lot mm-hmm. of these cults, like the one we're going to talk about today, are founded in some type of religious belief system. 
So the FLDS is definitely one that pops out to me. I actually, one of the correspondents in, or one of the talking heads in this documentary, I had to go look back at the book I have, um, Rebecca Wall, the one that, um, yeah, the one that left after Warren threatened her about getting married again. Mm -hmm. Um, She wrote a book that I have actually called The Witness War Red, and it's about her her life and escaping from the FLDS and eventually being one of the people to testify against Warren Jeffs in his second uh, round of trials. Uh Um, And that was that. I I don't know if that was the book that got me interested into cult specifically, but it ignited this interest in this extremist belief system. Uh So it was very interesting. It was very interesting to me. And then I also was interested in things like, Scientology or some of the Uh other cults that you have heard of from, you know, the late 1900s and things like that as well. So there's a lot of different areas of interest in there. So definitely lots of those extremist principles of beliefs are really, I think, at the core of where my interest with it comes. Extremist principles of belief. I think I, I do like that because I do struggle calling like a lot of religions cults because I want to be like you know like let people um, uh, have their religious freedom like I Mm -hmm. I believe in that very strongly but you know watching this it's like you this is not it this it's rightfully called a cult because it it serves nobody but the, the one person truly and then indoctrinating kids from birth where they have no choice but to believe this this stuff it's mm-hmm. it's very hard to to balance to balance that out but sarah you don't think that there's a, a balance between cults and religions well, I mean, one of the, the principles of a cult is an infallible leader who cannot be questioned. Mm, that's good. That's a good point. There you go. So when I say that all religions are cults, I suppose I'm also saying that there are benign cults. <laughs> <laughs> because I think by any definition uh, of, of cult, it is hard to say what is a cult and what is a religion. But mm-hmm. if you say it's all cults and then you say there are some benign cults, then mm-hmm. you, I think, can we can bring our minds to what the separation is. And what the separation is, we can discuss. Mm-hmm. But the indoctrination from birth, that's also a religion if, you're, if your family is uh, Catholic, if your family is Muslim. That is what you are told and taught. Yeah. With a cult, we yeah. say indoctrinated. We start to bring our own value judgments onto it, and I think mm-hmm. that's where it gets difficult. Yeah. That's why I'm choosing my words carefully because I do believe a freedom in freedom of religion and freedom mm-hmm. from religion. Mm-hmm. So, what is it that we see in um, the FLDS or other, uh, you know, dangerous cults that we deem bad? And what is it about organized religions that we can see are positive? Right. Um, in yeah. fact, um, some years ago, I was on a, a, a trip swimming in the Mediterranean and I met two uh, older women, two Texans, and uh, we thought they were me and my friends thought they were marvellous and they thought we were marvellous. We realised that they were supporters of a previous leader of your country, so it's oh. just like, right, just don't talk about politics. Mm. But what was fascinating is I did have a private conversation with one of them and she told me that she was inspired by the slogan, which I won't repeat, Uh she thought to herself, well, how can I make our community great? 
And so she and her church got together. They did a huge fundraiser for um, some uh, housing for people uh, who were unhomed. And the kindergarten children did a little play which raised money for furnishings for these houses. And I was really struck by the thought of this great, bad, dark shadow, but that she was inspired, she and her community were inspired to do this really positive thing for her community. It sort Uh of breaks your brain. And if you Uh think in very uh, binary terms, good, bad, right, wrong, it's it's harder to discuss this intersection of when uh, religion becomes a cult. But if we say it's all cults, or you could say Boston Rob was a cult within his season, it's interesting you brought up uh, reality TV, then we can examine, I think, a lot more granularly, well, what is it that we recoil from here with this bad cult and what is it that even as an atheist I look at some religions and go, that is really positive. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's sort of yeah. where I stand. Yeah. I feel like there is definitely a conversation about, like, the community building that happens with religion. Like, historically, uh-huh. that is something that uh, that resonated with me a lot when we're learning about the history of, like, black churches, black in, churches the, yeah. yep, in the Reconstruction era and a lot of the uh-huh. power that comes with that. But something that really struck with me about kind of what can make a religion a cult in particular is something along the lines of like, how infallible is this cult or religion to your everyday life? Or like, how central Mm. is it to your way of being? And how, you know, like, what is the level of commitment required for it? So something Uh. like, I'll just use Catholicism as an example, or Lutheran, which is the church that my dad's side is affiliated with for a while it was like a part of my life but it definitely wasn't the central point of my life either like and all of my systems of like social relationships were not completely rooted within this belief system and then now that I'm a little older like I don't go to church too often unless other Mm. family members want to go but then that is my choice and it's not like one my whole life isn't uprooted by not because I'm not a devout follower of like right. a particular belief system. I can, I have the privilege to be like, oh, well, like this could be true, but also this other thing could be true. And that's like my right as a person. But then also in the example of Catholicism, I don't have to go to church every week, but I can always go back when I decide that I want to, or that my family and I can decide to go to church or some of my family can decide to go to church. And some of us can decide that that's not really for us. And it's not, splitting up families like what we see in either um unless that's like that individual's preference to do so i think that's a good point and as for me like i my parents both they're both christians different sex and they um always believe that they they give us as much information as possible and we made our own choice. Mm -hmm. So we went to several different churches as I grew up. I, my mom grew up in a church in Detroit and I learned all about those teachings and my dad is from the South. So we learned all about those teachings. And then um, I went to Catholic school like Gia for a few years and was horribly scarred like that. So it's just like (laughs) one of those things where um, that's why I'm, I, I feel like, 
like when we're saying like indoctrination, I think there are people can uh, be raised in godly houses, but still be able to be given a, ch- a choice in some yeah. way, shape yeah, or form. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you want to hear more about that, you can go listen to my pod friends episode because uh, I uh, did a great episode with <laughs> the great Matt Scott about pod friends. And we, we talked about religion. So go check that out on the RHAP um, network. Shameless plug. But I, I like I love a drive. That. I love a drive by plug. It's one. Yeah, you go. I mean, the one thing that Catholicism has going for it. Yes, it was, Catholicism and scarring in the same sentence is not an unusual occurrence. Yeah. But the one thing Catholicism is going for it is got the get out of jail free card. You just go and confess everything you've ever done, and then everything's fine. And then you're good, right? Yeah. So if you knew the mo- <laughs> if you're a Catholic and you you know if you if you look on your birth certificate and it has an expiry date. The day or the hour before your death, just confess everything, and you're in. And you're in. So you know, it's a very pragmatic <laughs> way of of thinking about things. It's um, literally my favorite commandment. Like when we went to when I went to school there, like you had to do your confessions. Like um, it was like once every couple months they would do it, and mm-hmm, oh, yeah. you feel so good afterwards getting it all out there and stuff. It's just like oh, I'm like a new person now. It's great. It's like the master cleanse. Right? It's like if ther- therapy was free and five minutes long. That's what it is. It's great. yeah, and the therapist was was um, a, a sexual predator. Yeah. So yeah, again, <laughs> as a Christian in a Catholic school, I got none of that. It was just all of the guilt. <laughs> all of the guilt. Yeah. Oh my god! They wouldn't let us confess. They wouldn't let us take part of communion confession any of that that's but so they rude. told us every day how we were the worst so oh my god <laughs> um but i i think that this documentary does do a pretty good job it, it, for me at least in trying to separate the bad from the good within the flds because i i did come away from the first viewing of it like very sympathetic to the victims, like Sarah said, this is through the, the victim's eyes. So it makes sense as to why you would you would uh, leave that. But I felt like there was a lot more that I was able to get from this documentary than I had with my pre- preconceived notions coming into this. So let's get into it. Um, but before we begin our discussion, just to note that uh, the docu-series deals with sexual, uh, child sexual abuse. So if you or someone you know is affected by these matters, please reach out to the YWCA 24-hour hotline, um, which is 800-796-8711 in the U.S. Uh, and in Australia, you can seek support for sexual assault, family and domestic violence at 1-800-RESPECT. That's one 800 737-732 and we'll put those resources in the show notes. Yes. So the crime. So um, again, the, I have some preconceived notions about the crime. I, this, this, All this truly happened when I was in college and I didn't really realize it because again, I think I was in college and I was not paying attention to like, but you know, some stuff seeps into the popular culture of it all, right? But let's get down to the actual crime here. Warren Jeffs, uh, he became he became the prophet of the uh, FLDS, which is the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, um, after his father Ruland Jeffs died in two thousand two. The FLDS uh, differs from Mormonism in that it preaches that a man must have at least three wives in order to ascend to heaven. So this is a part of like, I listen to different resources uh, other than this documentary, but basically the fundamentalist uh, side of the FLDS, from what I understood, broke off once the Mormon church kind of started to get a little bit more modern in their teachings. 
first off banning polygamy of course once once the mo- modern mormon church um banned poly- polygamy that's where you get the main fundamental fundamentally uh break off but also when they introduce like you know r- like race like when they're saying like oh you know other races are okay um what they don't say in this documentary when they when they said that other races were admitted into Mormonism, like people like Warren Jeff and Rulon Jeff, they they said that was the breaking point because what this documentary actually leaves out is they are were they were extremely racist in their beliefs. But I digress. Um, so, <laughs> well, no, uh, it's not a digression. I mean, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you say, "Oh, I wanted three wives, and I don't want to see black people," yes, it for the hills. So how white can you be, really? Exactly. And not only that, but that believing that um, black black people are the descendants of Cain and, and direct uh, beacons for the devil. It's, it's rough, y'all. Um, <laughs> but, weren't, weren't Adam and Eve white? <laughs> That's how a, can Cain be black? <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story. If everybody it's the knows cognitive the, dissonance, it, isn't it? That you can hold these things in your head. Yes. The, I'm sorry, the Mary, books please. of Cain and Abel. Yep. Yeah, please go on. Um, so Warren Jeffs required total obedience from his followers, rewarding older um, members, older men with young wives, using young men as a labor force or casting them out of the sect. Um, girls were commodities owned by the church. Ugh. Any older man who threatened his leadership was expelled and his wives and children would be reassigned to other men. In 2007, he was convicted of being an accomplice to a rape and sentenced to 10 years. But then in 2008, Child Protective Services and law enforcement removed 416 children from the FLDLS ranch in Texas, but were compelled to return them when the Texas Supreme Court ruled that Child Protective Services were wrong to raid the ranch. And in 2011, Warren Jeffs was charged with two felony accounts of child sexual assault. He was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment plus 20 years. He continues to run the FLDS from prison. So so the docu series does a pretty good job of, uh, I would say, of breaking down the story of the FLDS, um, Warren Jeffs, and then his subsequent capture and imprisonment. So uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, Gia, what was your uh, when your overall impression of the documentary? Like even going into it, because you mm-hmm. knew, uh, I'm assuming you knew a lot going into it. What was your take going into it and even just from a broad perspective coming out of it? Yeah, actually, this was not my first FLDS documentary and uh, (laughs) would hate to shock you all with that. It actually Mm -hmm. wasn't even my only FLDS documentary this month. Uh, Peacock had had one as well, but I actually really liked how, um, how Netflix framed this documentary or I should say how the directors framed this documentary I think it Uh it talks obviously about all the crimes but the fact that they centered so much of it around the victims of it a lot of the wives that had been born into it we got to hear Uh about from the older men that had been cast out for various reasons Um, Uh one of them we even saying something like no one's marrying his daughters until they turn 18 at the very least, like things like Mm -hmm. that could get you cast out of the FLDS. So hearing a lot of the different perspectives, but also I feel like had this unwavering forgiveness around Warren Jeffs in particular, as they should. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that. Um, I've seen some from 
some other perspectives, not so much putting Warren Jeffs in a positive light, but they've had some wives or former wives that give testimonies that are a little more sympathetic to him. And that just feels Mm. uneasy. I know that's part of their reality, but it's uneasy to watch something like that, given all of the crimes that happened under his leadership and probably for much longer before his leadership as well. But I really liked how they framed it and how it really felt like while they are focusing on the FLDS, they're really giving a full picture about from the women's perspective in particular and what their lives have been like and how they either were brought into the church or most of them were born into this lifestyle in the FLDS. And I really enjoyed that. I especially loved the very end of it when I believe her name was Allison, one of the wives. She's talking about how they're driving back and they're... Oh, um, Alicia. Alicia, Alicia, yes, Mm -hmm. Alicia. They're driving away from the FLDS and then they open it up and like the trunk with all of her things opens up while they're on the highway and just all of her papers and all of her clothes and everything that was a part of her life thus far is now just like being run over on the Mm -hmm. highway and now it really has to start over and I think people really underestimate how much these victims are giving up choosing to leave that abusive situation as well and it's just like these women and men that are featured in the documentary like they're so brave and it's incredible to see especially these women who really weren't given a lot in the FLDS that were treated like property really stand up for themselves and find ways to leave I'm just it's I'm in awe of their bravery and their persistence throughout this documentary. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I I agree. Sarah, how about you? What were your thoughts going in? Some thoughts coming out? I knew I knew about the FLD or something about it. I do remember when the raid and the taking of the children occurred and not really knowing that much about it. I, I had thoughts I thought, well, you can't just go in and take people's children. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing it from the victim's side, and interestingly, not that men in general need more airtime and need more, mm-hmm. you know, uh, need more attention, but it was very interesting to hear from the men, um, some fathers and some young men who were, you know, affected by this. But the, the main focus, of course, being on the women. And as you say, Gia, they are so brave because you think of the age that they are but also their lack of education we see that their education is reading scripture learning songs learning to Mm -hmm. sew Uh, the video that they have is how to do your hair in that extraordinary fashion because you wanted to get the perfect oval face no matter what your face the perfect oval so there's a perfection i think too i i had seen images but the sheer numbers of wives so we hear from in in part one from from wallace jeff's brother of of warren he's one of 62 siblings and even though there are multiple wives some of these women are having 11 children and it just it makes me want to sit down and have a cup of tea just the very thought of of (laughs) that use of the body and Uh, i think i think it's interesting too this idea of even if you said well you can leave anytime you want leaving means you no longer see any of your family. You're mm-hmm. completely unprepared. Even the boys are completely unprepared for uh, contemporary life uh, in America. Mm-hmm. And it's too easy to say, just leave. I mean, we do hear from one of the women who left and came back. And it's almost like a, a 
yes, it's a true crime documentary, but some of it was like a horror a film where we were saying, "Are you going to get up?" We have the, you know, we have the interview with the the woman now, but you're still thinking, "Did you leave? Did you leave?" And they're talking right. about planning to leave and nearly leaving and not being able to leave. So, mm-hmm. I think it's think before you watch it. Be in a good frame of mind because I think whatever your background, it's affecting. And for me, just up front, I'll say that I I left home at, at um, seventeen. I left a very dark childhood and a, a home behind. And I sometimes think of that 17-year-old girl and think, you know, wonderful, how brave. Thank you for saving me. But I know 17-year-olds now, 18-year-olds, and I go, oh, my God, that's so young. Like it's so young to, to mm-hmm. go out on your own. And some of these girls were even younger. Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. And I think that's a great place to start because in part one, we're introduced to the Wall family, specifically Rebecca Wall, Rebecca's younger sister, Elisa Wall who is her who was her father's 19th child and her mother's 11th child <laughs> and then we get Mirna and Lloyd Wall who are like that's their father Lloyd, yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd, <laughs> yeah, Lloyd is their father, father. Mirna is not their mother mm-mm, I don't mm-mm. think Mirna Sharon. was the upstairs the upstairs children yeah yes, and Rebecca exactly. and Alyssa were the downstairs children yeah Sharon, yes Sharon's Sharon's uh a kid so so that is the wall family we also hear um from wallace jeffs like sarah pointed out he was the son of ruland jeff and then warren's brother we get alicia roback who is a member of the church and we'll get her story a little bit later we also get charlene jeffs who was warren's niece and then we got roger hole He's a practicing Mormon. He's a Utah attorney general. And he just seemed pissed. Like he, he did not like them. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, and the way that he talked about it, he would, you know, and I never really thought about Mormonism in general or what their opinions are on these different sects of Mormonism. But mm-hmm. he was talking about it, how, at least from his perspective, Mormons view polygamy as almost this relic of the past, like mm-hmm. a, a He's an embarrassment. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a an embarrassment to mm-hmm. how people stereotype Mormonism I mean, in yeah. Gen- yeah, in general. And I don't know a ton about Mormonism in particular based besides the very basic knowledge that what I've heard from other people. But right. I can understand mm-hmm. yeah, like it was it was interesting to see a little summary of kind of the origins of the FLDS and how they originated from uh the original Mormonism. Yeah, exactly. Same. Uh, the only things that I know about Mormonism, I've I heard a few podcasts about it. Um, I watched the. I wouldn't sell the Book of Mormon live on. <laughs> that that is on my list. Yep, and it's all true. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Such a good production. Um, but other than that, yeah, it, it it seems like that. That was another thing. Like that's what it seems like. Mormonism. People, the first thing you think is polygamy. You know, and I I, I would love to. We would we wanted to try and have some Mormons on, or like or former Mormons on. So if, if anybody's like listening and you're like a Mormon, former Mormon, whatever. We would love to hear your thoughts on on this because it has to, you know, I, I guess it has to be 
like really annoying that people automatically assume you are the most extreme version of your religion. That happens with a lot of religions. You think of, you go to the most extreme thought process when you're trying to demonize a, a religion that is not your own. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Uh, Lloyd and Myrna were not born into the FLDS. They were originally Mormons, but Lloyd wanted a little bit more. I think he wanted more structure when it came to Mormonism, and they fell into the FLDS. I think and he wanted another wife. Probably. <laughs> I mean, there, there's that as well. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. And Myrna was like, uh, It was like, implied. Yeah. It was implied. <laughs> I mean, he was sunk so far down in that, in that easy chair. Myrna's perched up in her chair, and he's like almost folded in half. He's sunk so far down in the chair. And they're high school sweethearts and stuff. Yeah. Um. But they 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 came to the FLDS, and we're, what I liked about us is we saw their footage, like their home movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I loved that you could tell the difference because I kind of thought the FLDS was always like what it was presented during Warren's case, but in this part one, we kind of see that it wasn't as strict or as criminal before Warren came to be the prophet. Warren brought with him these harsher teachings, this pedophilia, this abuse. He, you know, was the one who kind of like upped it. You know, at least that's what the documentary wants us to believe. Under Ruland Jeffs, they were able to wear, the women were able to wear whatever they wanted as long as they were covered up. They were able to have like plays and, and read books and they were way freer under Ruland Jeffs, at least that's what they're they're telling us here in part one. The um the library really got me. So Rebecca talks about library day being her absolute favorite, and she would read Nancy Drew and mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, and then the books disappeared, and in fact, books were they uh, cut out bits of of uh, encyclopedias that that didn't fit with the thoughts. It's this real control of the mind and uh, and control of the body. Uh, with yes. the with the clothing as well that that just the walls were closing in on me just 
watching these poor people go through this. But you're right. I mean, it's it, it's interesting to think back to that part one and how Lloyd talks about, you know, he, he wanted a sense of community and that they found a sense of community there. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of a positive spin there. We want to live yeah. this particular life. <clears throat> we found a community and it's, it's a very happy and communal. Exactly. And then we also get here the fundamental fundamentalist teachings that in order for a man to, uh, you know, to obtain the highest degree of celestial like kingdom, uh, he, he has to marry at least have at least three wives. And once he marries at least his three wives, when they when they all die, they will have their own celestial kingdom where they can make their spiritual children and they have their own galaxies and all of this good stuff um, <laughs> from sure. what their thought process is. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And what we, what we, we hear from Lloyd is he wanted more, he wanted placement. Like the only way you could, you could get another more wives is through the placement principle. God would have to speak to the prophet and the prophet would tell you who you were to marry. Like in that, that's it. Um, we get a, a, a story from Lloyd and Myrna where they were at church one day, Rulin brought Lloyd to the side and said, hey, Sharon, she belongs in your family. And Myrna said it herself, she liked him. We took her home that night, even though we had yeah. never met her. Like, ridiculous, right, Gia? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It's just, um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. And they say it in such a jovial way. You yeah. Know? Like, and we just took her home that night. But like, you think about it, you know, you didn't know this woman 24 hours ago, and now yeah. she is in integral part to your everyday <laughs> life and it, i she had like 11 children and the other wife had nine or something so it's like uh nine and um the mirna had nine yeah sharon had 14. i think it was 14 yeah 14 mm-hmm. yeah that, yeah like, so rebecca's number that oh no uh elisa's number 11 of her 11 she had, she had to look okay. it up she had yeah. it on her phone because she said i can never remember where i am oh yeah i'm number 19 yeah. of my father yeah it's so interesting to note, like, Sharon is not with us today. So Sharon is still in the FLDS. Yeah, so these is, girls yeah. have lost lost their mother, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just hearing about it for the first time, you know, I knew that their their marriages were ordained by the prophet. Like, the prophet decides who you are. No, God decides. And then God, God decides tells, through the prophet. Yes. Tells the so, prophet. Because the yes, prophet's God, got, a, got a direct God line. Tells Yes, God tells the prophet who this person is supposed to be married to. I knew that part of it, but I guess I just never really thought about the logistics of it, about what what does that actually yeah. mean? Like, it's not just, it's not a, a matchmaking service or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's literally just one day you're single and the next day you're being told who you are married to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And being married literally that that day. And so once Lloyd had two wives, he was trying to work really hard to work his way up through the organization. But for some reason, he was just not getting that third wife. You need that third wife for the highest degree. And so this is where wives and daughters comes in as like commodities, because when Rulin Jess was still around, what you would do is when your daughter was ready to be um, married, she would turn herself in and she would go and turn herself in to the prophet or the father would turn her into the prophet. And so this is where Rebecca tells us about how she was turned in to Rulin Jeffs to be um, so she can be found a marriage. And she talks about a special handshake. So she went to do the handshake with him 
and he gave her three squeezes and this special handshake meant she was to marry him. And I want to just intersperse this with Alicia's story where she got the same story where she was like, she had turned herself in. She had finished high school. She had wanted to prove to her family that she was really ready to be a wife. So she went to turn herself into Rulin and Rulin was like, well, how about you marry me? And she was like, okay. So <laughs> um, Re- Rebecca and Alicia marry Rulin Jeffs. And oh, would you look at that? After uh, Rebecca marries Rulin, Lloyd gets his third wife. Boom. Funny how that works out. Yes. There. So we truly get the sense that women, daughters, wives are literally there as chess pieces. And this is just the tip of the iceberg when we found out, we found until we find out later. But it's a lot of quid pro quo. You know, it's a lot of I have young women, I have young daughters. I need a wife. You need wives. Let's, you know, and, and it's not, and it might not be something as like, it, as like high brain as that, but it's, it's very implied that that was the undercurrent of trading and that women and young girls were the money in this, in this community. Basically uh, we get a few, we get a few remarks about how the, the girls are taught true obedience and how true obedience is to be led by a hair. We get Rebecca, unfortunately, really talking about her her married life and how these young women are, they're completely closed off from the world, from everything. They're not taught anything. And then they're supposed to get married and then they just got to figure out what the marital bed is like. And that was really mm. unfortunate to hear. Um, I just want to make clear that Rebecca and Alicia were both married at 19. So they were... 19 when they married Rulin. But this is uh, this is while Rulin's still alive. Rulin's still alive. Yeah. You know, the, the age of the marriage uh, starts descending after his yes. death. And, I believe, uh, from what I from, from what what we're told. And Rulin was 85 when he married Rebecca and 86 when he married Alicia. Yeah. Alicia said that she may have been the 23rd wife at that point, but there's no way because by the time Rulin Jeffs died, he was at 65 wives. And I'm like, there's no way she was the 23rd one. So I know I know they didn't include this in the documentary, but I learned this Please. from from other resources as well mm-hmm. um, on the FLDS. When Rulin was after Rulin had his stroke, or er, was uh, much more incapacitated. So the final years of his life, mm-hmm. Warren would do would marry him at a very much faster rate. So he was really get, yeah. So that he got he was married many more times in the end years of his life because Warren would set up these marriages very, very quick. And I think it was because they were like setting him up for Warren to be over control of all of these women. Mm -hmm. And once Ruland was done, I believe this was part of him setting up this plan. But yeah, so I don't know if uh, Alicia was the 23rd wife, but um, it's very possible because he had a, surplus of marriages in the end of his life to the point where Rulin eventually told Warren to like knock it off because the brides <laughs> would get the brides would get younger and younger too. Oh yeah. Very interesting. That, that is, is interesting. So that Warren's is not in the forward. documentary. This was in a separate one that focused a little more on I I think uh, the crimes and discussion are really about 
a Warren Jeffs era of it. So it makes sense for this documentary in particular, but there are some that go a little more into like what the final years of Rulon Jeffs time as prophet was like. Interesting. So, yeah. and this is the, that this is the next segment because we do get the rise of Warren Jeffs. He becomes the principal of the Alta school. And this is where he starts removing the books. He starts mm-hmm. like just taking razor blades to the books. If they're not, you know, they don't, they don't let any secular or Gentile stuff in. He's, he makes them like, he comes up with their own song and music so that they're not persuaded by the Gentiles. Apparently this is when it starts to get more strict because after Warren takes over the school as a principal, Rulon has a stroke, but we did get from Wallace Jeffs, Warren's brother, that there was a lot of rumblings about uh, Warren possibly molesting his sisters, which was the only mention that we got here in the documentary. Warren Jeff's time as the school principal was very monstrous and they left it out here, but it was really bad. And then he had the revelation of the destruction of Salt Lake City, where during the Olympics, he said, because of the Olympics, God is going to wipe Salt Lake City off the map. And so he moves everyone to Short Creek, which is on the border of Utah and Arizona. We get from residents down there that it it went from 1,000 and 2,000 people to 8,000 or 10,000 people. And he said, it's coming. The destruction is coming, but nothing happens. Sarah, how do you get away with saying something happens and it doesn't happen? Well, I mean, we've all heard cults predicting the end of the world and giving very particular dates. And when the date comes and goes and the world doesn't get, <laughs> well, maybe maybe the world was destroyed and we just didn't notice and we're living in some kind of eternal present. Mm. But there's always a way around it. There's always a misinterpretation that happens. There's always a you know, a way to jiggle the numbers. And mm-hmm. I think if you've upped, if you've been living in Salt Lake City in this community and then you up and you all leave and you go to Sweet Creek, what are you going to do? Get on the wagon and go back? No, you're here now. It's interesting about, uh, as you say, about, about Warren jockeying for position. It seems like the documentary indicated that his mother uh, was very hot on her yes. son becoming the prophet and I think she was possibly political let us say within the within the circumstance I mean there's there's a lot left out of this documentary just to step back a moment there is a lot left out of this documentary and more Gia as you as you know more things please do throw them in I think because it is such a monstrous you know, multifaceted crime and horror story that uh, they did concentrate on the victims, let's say. I'm trying not to use the word victims, but so survivors. Survivors, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's a, yeah, the survivors. And I think also that if it's something that they don't have someone who can speak to it, they touch on it and move on, like the uh, sexual abuse of his sisters. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, But what's extraordinary here is not only do we move to Sweet Creek and Salt Lake City is not destroyed, but the prophet can never die and then oh, he right. dies. <laughs> yep. so what, is the, what is the ability to hold the, yeah. that in your head? I don't, I don't get it. And I thought it was really interesting here because Rulin dies um, after they move to Short Creek and we get 
the two residents that, that were at Short Creek and they were talking about how when Rulin dies, everybody was just in shock. They didn't understand because they were like, we have been told all our lives that he wouldn't die, that he would just come back anew like Jesus, but that didn't happen. So everybody's going to this funeral. They're all confused. They're like, why is he dead? <laughs> By this time, Rulin just has 65 wives. They tell them all those wives are dressed in white at the funeral. Very eerie sight. Yeah. And then Warren starts to pretend, <laughs> but he's acting like Rulin is speaking through him. Like he's, he's saying he's like channeling his father. And then Warren slowly gets like some of the wives to convince people that he is the next prophet, which again, was this his whole, was this the whole setup for him marrying all of these wives off? And that's the, that's the end of, of part one. And we go into part two where Warren starts marrying Rulin's wives. He, he starts emphasizing on dreams. In the Mormon culture, they, there's a heavy emphasis on dreams um, because of Joseph Smith and how his dreams and how dreams are prophetic to them and stuff like that. The wives just, he just starts taking up all the wives. Um, Ruin's wives. What did you think of this part, Gia, uh, and part two when Warren starts to seize power and, and people are starting to realize what he's doing? You know, from the outside looking in, it just feels like so obvious that this is what he's doing is that he's paving the way for him to be the next prophet. But like mm-hmm. they emphasize in the documentary, you know, they he's very clever about it because he can't say. I believe I'm the next prophet and then expect Mm -hmm. everyone to fall in line after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he does it in such a manipulative way. And, you know, like things like dreams or visions or prophecies Mm -hmm. can be something easily manipulated because the mind can be a fickle thing and dreams can mean many things. And I think especially in religion, they have like this very heavy emphasis on it. Sometimes Um, it's particularly in Mormonism and it was very interesting to see, you know, how he was able to control the situation and and he's already in a powerful position, but that he would pick, uh, especially uh, some of Rulin's former wives to pick the um, that maybe want to have an in with him or want to keep someone in power happy, as they say throughout the uh, through the documentary, keep sweet mm-hmm. is keep the name sweet. Of, yes, yeah. The women in particular have to keep sweet no matter what, and mm-hmm. keep sweet and yes. obey, and so the Lord will bless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a dramatic does, reading. <laughs> exactly, and so to see all of that and how he kind of manipulated the situation and took people in vulnerable positions and used them for his gain to basically satisfy his drive to be the next prophet so basically just Uh any any way he could support the evidence without coming outright and saying it's it's very clever it's very clever you get other people to say it and then you reluctantly take on the mantle it's brilliant and he's and he's picking people that are either easily manipulated or people that are in particularly vulnerable positions like widows who don't really know what the next step for them is and this is something that happens in a lot of cults it's not just people that are picked off the street or like people that are dumb being indoctrinated into cults it's people that were born into cults or people going through really difficult times in their life that uh such as like depression or 
Um, mm-hmm. Other mental health concerns or uh, addiction can be in a reason that people get indoctrinated into cults, but people in a very vulnerable position in their lives exactly. are the ones that are more susceptible to be manipulated. And it's not because they're dumb. It's because they are in a vulnerable position state. in their life. That's very easy to mm-hmm. uh, for people to take advantage of the fact that any generosity would be appreciated at that moment. So it's exactly. just, it's the, it's classic cult leader behavior And it's very interesting to see how it unfolds here, particularly when this is such a closed off community. Right. Exactly. So Warren also starts to, like we said, he starts handing down new rules. No more zoos, no more plays. Um, Myrna The long underwear. The The long long underwear. underwear. No No red. red. Lloyd was mad that the guns, all the guns had to be turned over. (laughs) <laughs> create the perfect oval and we get we get one of the, the <laughs> residents said i wasn't scared of death i was scared of disobeying the prophet like that's how she she r- ruminates on that's how scared she was you know because they thought the prophet's word was infallible well one um, of the, the former flds that we have with us Darwin barlow he said something that really caught my eye he said fear drove the compliance and i think that's you know very insightful and we also, mm. we're going to meet Mike Watkiss. Yeah. Mike Watkiss to the rescue. He's a journalist. He says he's a cops and robber reporter. And in essence, this was a sex crime story. He's taking no prisoners there, Mike. He, we see him back in the day and we see him now. And we understand a lot of his drive towards uh, exposing the FLDS. Exactly. And like Warren Warren Jeffs really pushed it like he he his model was working hard for the privilege of working harder like he really started to mm-hmm. push these people to their breaking point where um like the young boys the boys they had a surplus of boys so the boys would be either on labor camps or labor duties or or they were kicked out you know and they would build large, like large domestic, like commercial buildings um, because Warren was um, he would take over. He would tear apart families and he would take over businesses. So he would he would take he would have the you sign over all your businesses. So they he was steady, like getting really rich and stuff. And he would he was able to do this because when they were building stuff in, in a part of construction teams, they barely were, they weren't paying any of the they weren't really paying their their uh, the, the boys that were doing the construction. So they were able to, like, build like uh, for Walmart and Amazon and, and be given those contracts because they were cheap, you know, and they, they pocketed all of that. And it was really messed up because. Warren started to to tear the families and use the families as tools. So when Warren came up, Lloyd talks about Lloyd Wall talks about how him and Warren had never <laughs> really uh, got along. So like Warren starts to treat Lloyd as like the worst, the bottom of the bottom. Um, he he removes Sharon. He remove he removes Elisa and um, Rebecca's mother from Lloyd and gives her and the rest of the children to Fred Jessup, um, one of the higher ranking members who already had like 20 wives. And he just said, Hey, that's your husband now. And those that's your father. You can't talk to your old father anymore. Like how messed up is that? And, and we get Lloyd really like tearing up about how bad he really had it and all of this stuff, but that he just so believed in the, 
the doctrines and all that, that he always tried to work his way back. But truly, like, once you're yeah. once Warren, once you cross Warren Jeffs, he can just take your family away from you like that. Even if polygamy is not for you as an individual, like even if that is not something that you practice, you can't help but feel really bad for them at this point, because it's really just like this is their family and they're tearing exactly. apart a family, which is something that ironically they use to manipulate media you know a couple episodes later yeah but this is something that warren jeffs had also been doing since the beginning of his reign with tearing families apart because a member of the family doesn't agree with his leadership exactly this is the fear isn't it you're in the community you see somebody lose their wife and children to someone else and you Mm -hmm. think oh that could happen to me so this is this fear-driven compliance and and what an incredible tool for control of this population exactly and it's it's a horrendous tool because you think about it you put these people together or initially you have no idea what their compatibility compatibility is but you force them to have to be together you force them to have multiple children like maybe in the teens and then you take them away like even if you have no feeling towards your wife or your husband more than likely you're gonna have feeling towards those kids and you're you're taking those kids just taking them away from people and just handing them to the to them over to somebody else like how does that happen how like how does that work like there's 11 of us we are now with you guys like where do we sleep what do like how do we feed those mouths like it's so ridiculous to think of like wrap your mind around it it's so sad and like just logistically i'm sitting here like how many beefaronis do you have you know like, <laughs> that just you saw, them, you, fun. you saw them later like breaking out the coolers and doing all of this like maximum storage they possibly can yes. and that was one of i do not have children but i have been told they are quite a lot of work so uh, i do yeah. not know how you <laughs> I, I cannot imagine and i have a lot i have uh four younger siblings but like i cannot imagine like 11 11 and then you have other like you have other mothers with other children like nine and nine, 12 yeah. children like big number we're talking double digits here like that's a, mm-hmm. that's also, a big family don't forget you uh i mean as well as the boys being sent out on uh, construction crews and not being paid you have the older girls within the family taking on maternal duties cooking mm-hmm. cleaning looking yeah. after the children so the well, more children you have they start to look after the ones yeah. underneath it's yes yeah. that's like the only yeah it's the only way really that a family like that can sustain themselves and it has terrible mental emotional physical effects on yes. the, the women forced to be mothers at very young ages at much later in life and it's very very sad and then on top of that it's like because well we see it later but because the kids are raised by so many mothers or so many people it's like you have those connections but then do you really have those connections because mm-hmm. It's like it. It's like it. It programs the children to be like, okay, maybe that is my mom, but these are also my moms. So if my mom gets taken away, it's just like, oh, it's okay. I still have seven other moms, you know, which mm-hmm. fosters a relationship, but really doesn't foster a relationship, you know, which is really sad and maddening as well. And we'll, I think we'll talk a little bit about that later. But the most uh, other important thing in part two, we get um, Ruby Jessup 
and Alyssa Wall story. These these stories are what I think were really well done when it came to this documentary. <laughs> I don't know about the the reenactment part, but <laughs> we're on, we're on record about reenactments. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we we're introduced to Ruby Jessup, and Ruby basically tells us she was like kind of like a you know, a rebel, if you will. And her and this dude, Joe Robach, kind of, they were both young. They kind of fell in love. They exchanged letters. They would sit and talk on the phone all night and they would just pray that the prophet would marry them. The prophet did not marry them. The new prophet, Warren Jeffs, um, decided Ruby was 14 and she needed to get married. And that Alyssa Wall, who was also 14, where it was ready to get married. And this is where it the documentary kind of made it feel like the child bride stuff really didn't really go into overdrive until Warren was in charge. But Gia, does this align with the, what you, what you've heard from other properties? Yeah. Properties? So Elsie, is that how they pronounce Aliss- it? Alyssa. Alyssa. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, just, so- for listeners who haven't watched the documentary, there's a woman called Alicia and there's a woman oh, yeah. called Elissa. Okay. So if you okay. feel yeah. that we're talking, well, they're two different people. Yeah. This is Elissa, so, the 14-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't heard Ruby's story before. And it it was a really heartbreaking story from beginning yeah. to end. I'm glad that they included her in the documentary and gave mm-hmm. her that time. But it's the things that she had been through has just so rough. But um, Alyssa's story was uh, is actually pretty popular um, because that mm-hmm. is the... That is the case that hit Warren Jeff's first trial is based yes, on. This is exactly. the first time I've heard from her specifically at, and from like firsthand testimony. And this mm-hmm. probably has some things to do with the fact that she was still underage when the trial went to court. So yes. I don't know how long it took for her name to be out in the released. public as it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. to be released. But everything that I heard about this trial was pretty in line with what I already knew about the facts of that case. I knew that she had a cousin she didn't want to marry and that he was just awful to her. Yeah. Um, But the specifics of it, I was not particularly aware of. And I did not know that she was also related to Rebecca Wall. I hadn't made that connection as well. So Mm -hmm. it was, I don't want to say refreshing, but it was um, like a new perspective to actually hear it from her visit from her specifically because then you know that they are getting all the facts so i really enjoyed that and hearing other people's reactions to her impending marriage like what we Mm -hmm. got with rebecca to the point where she almost took Alyssa with her when she Mm -hmm. escaped herself exactly rebecca ends up escaping which was it felt like a big deal because she was a prominent she was one of ruland's wives she she apparently was a prominent member in the society she just did not want to get remarried warren threatened that she needed to get remarried and instead of getting remarried she escaped unfortunately she could not take Alyssa with her because Alyssa was married Alyssa was um undergoing like routine sexual physical and emotional abuse and Alyssa kept coming to Warren telling her like I won out I won out and he just told her to keep sweet and um keep that sweet <laughs> that ends up being the straw that breaks the camel's back for Alyssa for when Alyssa escapes but let's get to Ruby real quick because Ruby um gets married to a man named Haven 
They too do is very bad. Ruby escapes with her brother and her brother's family, but Ruby was 14 at the time. Ruby and Alyssa, the reason why they were so like a uh, Warren needed them to come back was because they were the ones that could put the nail in his coffin. So Ruby escapes and they send Joe her first love that she fell in love with, with Joe they we said they were talking on on the the phones they were not allowed to be married but Warren told Joe like hey go get her go bring her back and he said if you bring her back you can get married to her just go and bring her back and then Joe says like you know i i was i wanted to i wanted to marry this girl but also in the back of my head i knew it wasn't going to happen but he brought her back immediately the next day he sent away again um, and we, we get Joe. Joe is here talking to us in the documentary. So we're getting both their their story from both of them. And what do we think about Joe? I want to be sympathetic to him because he also grew up in mm-hmm. this very patriarchal way of thinking. And like what also grew up in a cult, like all of the women that we hear in the documentary grew up in this cult. But at the same time, it's just, uh, like I, I, he says he'll never forgive himself, but also like that was messed up, you know. You, yeah, you brought someone back, and he was a did, kid. Gia. I know he was. Like, I, he was fourteen or fifteen himself. He was the same age. I know. As I'm trying to be sympathetic, but it's just so hard. I feel like I you know, hurt older, but hurt people can hurt people definitely, uh-huh. and it's hard when it's hard to be completely judgmental on it when. This is what they grew up with. They don't know another way of life. And you see like the levels of indoctrination that goes into the FLDS. But at the same time, it's just so hard to watch him talk about how he knew that this probably wasn't going to happen. And he still did it anyway. And it's just, oh, it's it's possible to be both a survivor of this and also have done some hurtful things in the process as well absolutely that's a really good point you can be a a victim and a survivor and you can also be a perpetrator i think for joe uh, a young a teenager anyway however old he was Mm -hmm. indoctrinated from birth and he is dangled this wonderful prize that he always wanted by someone that he has been taught is completely infallible and will never lie and never do anything wrong Uh, and he's told to go and get her and he, he hopes to marry her. He still, you know, wants to share ABBA, the naughty music. Uh, he wants to listen to ABBA with her. And then, of course, as soon as he brings her back, he is banished forever. Um, mm-hmm. So this is why I like, I want to hear from the women, but I did find it interesting, the men that we heard from and the damage that they both, that was done to them, but also that they that they perpetrated themselves. Right. And so Ruby goes on to say she, you know, she went back and she just, you know, took it. She had she had six kids by the time she was 24. She said she didn't want any of them, but she was blessed to have them. And she, you know, she loves all her kids. And uh, I think we even see. Yeah, they're with her now. They're with her. Yeah. 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 And it looks like they're all out, too. Yeah, they're all out. Right. She got them all out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we end part two with the polygamous policeman because um, Warren Jeffs uh, in Short Creek, all of this is in Short Creek. They He's taken over the fire department, the police department. Ruby's husband actually worked for the fire department. And 
one of the policemen, which I don't, I don't know if, if, if you know any more about this, Gia, but this is some of the stuff that I heard, like with the policemen and like Warren Jeffs would give girls to older men that might not even be truly in the cult. Like he would use them as tools to help, you know, further the cult. Yeah. So the the polygamous polygamous policeman he was um, caught in charge for marrying a sixteen year old. Is is that true, Gia? Did I have that correct? Um, I think that's pretty on the nose. I know they mostly kept to themselves, but you right. do need to have at some point help from the outside world to sustain the environment that you have created. But we see, you know, like there's the young boys are being sent off to do work for barely Mm, any like livable wages yeah and you know so the same can be said for these underage marriages that were happening we see um that reporter do some investigating throughout Mm -hmm. the documentary as well trying to figure out who is a participant in the cult but someone does say at the part of it you know the flds is like the biggest human trafficking ring in Mm -hmm. the united states and i am not surprised by this you know this is the the level of human exploitation that occurs is far beyond what you can usually conceptualize for like a what you might think of for a cult especially a cult that like sticks to themselves mostly hey have you ever used cheapo air for years and i really like it with cheapo air you can book online use their app or even over the phone They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. We open part three, basically with Warren going down to El Dorado. That's how they pronounced it. I know. It's, it's so <laughs> it was El Dorado, Texas. Texas. <laughs> to start building the YFZ, the Yearning for Zion Ranch in this little small town of El Dorado. Like a lot of the townsfolk didn't really know what was happening. They were originally told it was a hunting lodge. And then they're like, this very big for a, a hunting lodge here. <laughs> the we size got- of the temple that they're building, we see it from the air and it's mm-hmm. it's extraordinary. I mean, this is not a hunting lodge. Exactly. And this is, we get this from Randy Mankin. He's the El Dorado uh, editor. He was talking about how like in 2003, they only had, what do you say? Like they had like a, a, like a car, something like two, only two things happened in 2003. And they, they're like, oh, that was a, a banner a, 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 year. A, a car crash and a storm. It's like, oh, there'll, yeah. never be another year. there'll never be another year for news like that. Yeah. And then they're like, well, well little do we know. <laughs> uh, we also get um, Lola Barlow, who's a former YFC ranch resident, and her sister, Connie Barlow. Um, as Did you think that Connie was still in? 
because Lola Barlow, young girl, she's out now, but very mm-hmm. young, and mm-hmm. she's her Chiron is former uh, YFZ ranch resident, and mm-hmm. then Connie Barlow is her sister. She doesn't have a Chiron, and she looks like she's wearing a dark green version of the Little House on the Prairie dress. So I was very intrigued by Connie because Lola's the one that tells us she's out, but is she out because she can't just go and see her family? She yeah. could go and see them, but they wouldn't talk to her. So some of her brothers and sisters are out and some of them are still in. And I was very intrigued by Connie because I thought, you're wearing the prairie dress. You you know, mm-hmm. what's going on here? It's probably a, a very uh, shades of grey type of situation mm-hmm. because we, we we come to find out that a lot of even the former uh, FLDS uh, members do seem to stay around like the Short Creek area to kind of be as some sort of help to those who are still in if yeah, they yeah. want it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, it's very interesting. So uh, Warren, as and they're saying Warren's getting increasingly paranoid here. They're seeing him less and less, you know, but we do get like Warren just one day shows up. He calls himself the benevolent dictatorship and he starts uh, what's called giving out corrections, which I, I found this out from a different source. But um, one of our talking heads, Dwayne, he was a prominent male member. Him and 20 other prominent men were expelled from the church and Warren called them master deceivers. And they were saying that these were prominent men. Four of them were Warren's brothers, including Wallace. That were, that were just one day he just said you're gone and he he told them to get up pack their stuff up don't say bye to your family and go so these men who are very prominent are leaving like some of them had 20 wives and so and so many kids and then they're just ejected from the, the community and these women and these children a good portion of them are then sent down to the YFZ like a uh, ranch and it's very like Oh, like it does not, that does not sound good because it's just all those kids unattended. Their parents are gone, excommunicated. They're, they're taken away from their main, like where they grew up. It's just very, sounds right for just, you know, pedophilia. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The uh, Alicia, t- Alicia tells us Alicia. that mm-hmm. uh, she wakes up at two in the morning and two of her sister wives are packing up the clothes of two of Alicia's children. Yes. That are that are going her to only disappeared, two mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and um, one of the other women does just tell us that she she woke up in the morning and went to her child's bed. Her child was not there. She went to her husband, and her husband told her to keep sweet. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, because the YFC, the Yearning for Zion Ranch, then becomes a, a goal. Warren is like, if you keep sweet, if you follow the doctrine, you can then come to the Zion Ranch. Oh, it's like a Zion on Earth. You don't even have to wait till you die. And so this is how they get the chosen few, the poofers who just disappear. But we also like Alicia. We get Le- Alicia's story and how she was in love with Leroy Jeffs, Warren's older brother, and how she was his favorite wife they had the two kids and then one day he was called a son of perdition and she was removed from his household and given to the the even younger brother seth and all of a sudden seth was her husband even though her and and Leroy had been like in love and all of that and then like sarah said the next thing she knows her her daughters are being taken away and they were like three three and four and then 
I think the youngest one was one or two at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the toddlers are just being sent without their mothers. Being the, ima- to- the images that we see at the ranch mm-hmm. now are, and these are the images I remember from the removal of the children, of the women and children in these pastel colours and all these groups of matching yeah. women from tiny babies up to, to teens and maybe young 20s women, all with the hair. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's really horrifying. And that all this is so that when you die, you go to heaven. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And they had a belief that, like, you, the way for you to get to heaven is to go to the Zion Ranch. Like, that was where the safe haven was going to be for uh, members of the FLDS, the ones that were deemed acceptable in the eyes of the prophet. Exactly. And then, so we get Lisa Wall. She escapes after, I think, three years. So I think she was still, like Sarah said, underage. She escapes and she becomes a witness against Warren Jeffs in his first trial where he is uh, accused of being an accomplice to rape. And he goes on the run. He's put on the FBI's most wanted list. This was where I was kind of like, my head kind of like spun with the documentary, docuseries. Cause I was like, wait, how do we get here? You know, but he was in, he was test driving Porsches and, and he was in Vegas. And then where else was he? He was just doing like Disneyland. Disney. Disney, yes. yes. He was living the high life. Meanwhile, his, his nephews and his, his, he's, he's telling everybody that, you know, fund hit him they're sending him three hundred dollars in cash every week three hundred thousand sorry i said three hundred i'm sorry <laughs> yes three hundred thousand dollars in cash every week they're saying and he's telling them it's to build zion but i don't know y'all <laughs> like he it's really so that he can fund him being on the run and it's because his um one of his nephews he originally got the police were originally after him because one of his nephews accused him of um, rape and sodomy when he was eight. So that's how the, like the first warrant came down. Then Al- Alyssa was on the, was added to the indictments and all of that, but mm-hmm. they finally arrest him. And then we get part four, anything of a part three before we hurry through part four here. Yeah. So I think that, that you're right. It does seem to come quickly that he's on the FBI list, but we have heard from some of the prosecutors. We've heard from a private investigator, uh, this journalist, uh, Mike Watkiss. So it feels like even though the story is really concentrating on, on the survivor stories, that there are these forces for good that are marshalling against uh, uh, Warren Jeffs. There's so much to the story, as I said before. They have to leave some out. They have to be selective. And I think they were generally very effective in this. Mm -hmm. But I did get that atmosphere of things closing in and an atmosphere of people on the outside with Warren Jeffs in their sights. Exactly. Um, The laws, I believe, at the time that they moved uh, had a lower age of consent in Texas too. Yeah. Uh So that was part of the reason that decision was made. And as uh, he was getting more notice with the FBI, that's when he decided to go on the lam so that he wouldn't be caught. Because if they found anything on the ranch, you know, as they did later in the documentary, he knew that he was going to prison and they hid it under this guise of what they were telling their followers that this was religious persecution. Exactly. They, the unrighteous were 
the coming uh, after them. We're coming mm-hmm. after them because they have the correct way of life, just like how their Lord Joseph Smith, who is the founder of uh, the Mormon Church, was uh, persecuted in his time. That is like what their reasoning is. Exactly, perfectly said. And he imprisonment made him a martyr. Almost, he was still conducting yes. like. Priest, he was preaching from prison. He was sentenced to ten years for the accomplice to rape charges. But what what ended up happening, which was kind of interesting, this they get a call. the The police in Texas get a call from a woman claiming her name was Sarah. She said she was sixteen. She already had a child, and she was currently pregnant, and she was being abused at the YFC ranch. This ended up being a hoax call. The call was able for them to like do a welfare check. And while they were there, they found more evidence of child abuse. So because of that, the uh, Child Protective Services of Texas said, okay, remove the kids. They did not realize how many children were there. There was Mm -hmm. 416 children there. And they started removing the children. Um, The law enforcement, we we got one of the law enforcement officers here saying that basically Child Protective Services didn't realize what they were getting into. And then on top of that, the FLDS started weaponizing the media. They got the, the mothers to go on like all these news channels, like Oprah was there talking about how their children were ripped away from them. And this is where the most famous part of it has has always come from, because this is where they got the most media attention because they were trying to make the, you know, the Texas law look really bad. And Texas Supreme court, they folded, they told them that the children needed to be returned. But while the, the kind of good thing there, there are still people working on trying to get, indictments for them. So Rebecca and and Alyssa Wall, they try to help law enforcement. They say there will be a secret cache of church records somewhere um, because uh, they ruled that the children could be given back, but they also ruled that the ranch could be seized. So um, they decide that they can then now go into the temple to see if they can find any evidence. Um, They almost thought it was going to be a standoff, but luckily nobody, you know, nothing was exchanged. They break into this temple, y'all. This is probably the most fascinating part of the, especially part four, but of the docuseries. We go, we finally go inside the temple because before this, all you can see is from the air. The temple is huge. It's just all white. It has so many rooms. The more levels up you go, it's just more just stark white. And it's and it's almost it would be beautiful if this was in any other setting. (laughs) Even one of the law enforcement when he said, well, you know, when they finally get to the the dreadful bedroom, Mm -hmm. he said it was behind a pretty curtain. And I thought, yes, it was a strange word for this man to use. But I thought, yes, he's looking and he also knows what's beyond the curtain. and, and right. yes, it was this sort of diaphanous cushion. Oh. It was it was pretty, yeah. Yeah. It's so it's just so eerie. Everything looked so disgustingly like Perfect. sparkling white. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sparkling <laughs> white. It just oh it mm-hmm. was yeah, it it really I feel like it falls very much in line with everything else FLDS. It's like yes. shockingly squeaky clean on the surface, surface. but behind mm-hmm. the curtain, there Ugh. is a whole lot to be discovered. Yes. Yeah, so, and so the main room, what we find here is all, it's like an altar, but it's like a bed. It's just, it, you, you got to watch the docuseries, but it's this big, tall bed that's like 
situated almost like in the middle of the room. It's about waist high. It's like cushioned. It's, ew, it's, it's like just, they didn't even have to tell me what it was. Uh, we knew. As we soon as knew. you see it, you, yeah. you get the idea. And meantime, while they're finding that in the basement, they're finding a vault. They open that vault up. That vault has all of the records, all the records of the underage marriages. It has pictures of Warren Jeff's wives. I don't know. They just said pictures of the wives. I don't know what that entails. But the biggest smoking gun is they had audio recordings of Warren Jeffs having what he called their sacred sessions, where he records himself with his wives having sex with them. And at least on two of the recordings, he was having sex with both a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. And that ultimately he gets um, indicted down. He gets sent down to Texas to be charged for rape. Yeah. Rebecca (sighs) says she listened to the tapes. I think she probably Mm -hmm. wishes she hadn't, but she was assisting law enforcement and she was shocked to realize that she knew the 12 year old girl. And she said, Mm -hmm. this is, this just really got me. She said she was a sparrow of a girl. Yeah. Um, So the, the instructional tapes uh, is, um, Warren, you know, telling his wives to disrobe, telling them to touch each other, mm-hmm. telling them to watch him having sex. I mean, it just, it's, the the documentary gives you just enough. Luckily, it doesn't exactly. dwell, it doesn't dwell too much. But this, I actually had to stop and go for a little walk around my apartment at this yeah. point uh, because the, it's not just Warren, it's the complicity of the other victims and yeah, as she has said yeah. it's really hard to find where you where you you know have compassion and where you have judgment because the, 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 his wives were young women as well who'd always been brought up this way and the thing about how you know sexual abuse works either in institutions or within families is that you as the child are either told or understood that this is the way things are so yeah, even if you don't exactly. like it like you mightn't like eating broccoli but you have to Mm-hmm. Uh, it it as a child, your child mind puts it in that way that mm-hmm. this is not an unusual thing. It's the way it is. You mightn't like it, but it's it's as it is. So when we think of his wives, when we hear his wives saying "Amen" mm-hmm. in that situation, part of you wants to scream that they didn't help and protect these tiny children. <laughs> Exactly. And then you think, but they were once they were once that twelve year old or that fifteen year old on that horrifying bed being mm-hmm. watched over by by other women barely older than themselves. So yeah, it's it's really hard to to not find compassion for them, as it's also really hard not to scream that they should have helped these poor girls. Exactly. Exactly that. And so because of the evidence of the tape, they play the tape in the court for the jury. The women and the jury did not like it. Um, we They only play a little bit on the docuseries, so just be mindful of that. But once Warren Jeffs is put away, he has 78 wives. Of those 78 wives, 24 of them were underage. He is. He was sent away for life imprisonment plus twenty five years. They basically just started stacking years on him. So I think the earliest parole is he'll have is for twenty thirty eight, and I think he'll be eighty three or eighty eight when that ha- happens. Um, he still runs the FLDS from inside the prison. Mm, 
and we get at the end we get Ruby and Alyssa and a lot of the survivors talking about where they were where they are now and how hard it is to run like I think Gia said how hard it is to get out and how a lot of them kind of do stay in the same areas so they can be close to their families even though they can't talk to some of their families so the one of the quotes is so many of us are still functioning under the shadow of the past is what um, one of the last things Alyssa says and that's part four. That's it um, for Keep Sweet. Gia, any final words about the docuseries itself, how it presented the case? What do you think? This As someone that uh, is very intrigued by cult true crime s- stories, I did like the way that Keep Sweet told the story of the FLDS, particularly the, the Warren Jeffs era of the FLDS. Um, some parts I did feel were a little rushed, but again, they only have so much time to tell a very complicated story. Uh-huh. And I'm happy that um, the majority of the time was spent focusing on the survivors of the story because exactly. those are the people who deserve to have their stories told. I really enjoyed that part. Do I wish there were more cult documentaries out there? No, like I, I you know, like I, I enjoy, I, I do not wish for more cults in the world, but I'm glad that these primarily it's mostly women, but that the survivors of the story are able to tell their story and that people seem to have a lot of intrigue in this world of extreme principles of belief, I guess I would say. Um, And I thought it was told very well. All right. Great. Um, further properties, Sarah? Yeah, so if you thought, as I did when this first came up, I thought, didn't I already see this? Uh, mm-hmm. There was a documentary last year in 2021, also called Keep Sweet. Why wouldn't you call it that? It's the most mm-hmm. horrifying uh, phrase. So that's a documentary directed by Don Argot. It's available on Discovery Plus, and it's much more sort of nuts and bolts on the uh, FLDS. Under the Banner of Heaven is a 2003 book by John Krakow, which I read years ago. It's, it's very good. I can still recommend it from, from back then. It was made into a miniseries this year and over on Post Show Recaps, if you like, you can find coverage of the miniseries Under the Banner of Heaven by Grace Leader and DM Philly. That's all worth checking out. So is that a docudrama directly about FLDS and Warren Jeffs or what is it? Yes, it's a it's a it's a drama a series under the banner of heaven oh, drama is is about is about the uh, you know Mormonism and so on with a small amount of the crime the mini series makes the crime the major the major focus but gotcha. uh, yeah all those things the book the series and the recaps are, are worth your time I kept I kept seeing like the name under the banner of heaven, but I didn't know what it was about. Like I, didn't, I don't know if I didn't mm-hmm. watch the trailer enough, but I was like, "What is this about?" Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. No, okay. So let's rate the docu series. What would you rate this docu series out of five five magnifying glasses, Gia? Ooh, I give it a four. I said four like, out of five. Okay. I know. I know. I I don't know what else to compare it to. Really, I definitely liked mm. it better than the other docu series that I watched this year on the FLDS. But Mm -hmm. I do feel like parts were rushed a little bit, but I enjoyed Mm -hmm. the perspectives that were told. And they really didn't hold a lot back in terms of the extent of Warren's crimes and what were told in his trials. So I do appreciate that level of honesty in a docuseries like that. 
So I enjoyed it a lot. There are some parts that I thought could be fixed, but I don't know what else to really grade it on. <laughs> no, that that's whatever you feel. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. So four. So Sarah, how about you? Well, I'm a four as well. Um, it's nice. interesting that uh, last week we talked about uh, captive audience and uh, uh, you, Murray, compared it to a scrapbook in terms mm-hmm. of its style, which I thought was very insightful. Here it's more like a, a parfait. For me, it's layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the pacing being slightly slower. I know they had to leave stuff out. I think they were extremely judicious in what they left out, unlike yeah. Keeper of the Ashes, which was totally injudicious. Mm-hmm. So I liked that the, the selection was very good. I liked the, when I say layers, you hear part of a story, then you hear another part, and then you might come back to that original person and there's more to say. Mm-hmm. Um, the use of the contemporaneous uh, photographs and footage was good. Yep. And although this podcast is staunchly <laughs> anti-reenactments, I actually thought the reenactments were I would call them acceptable. So yes. for all those reasons, I'm going to give it a four. What about you, Mari? I'm going to give it a 3.5. Uh, I th- I still think it was good. I agree with everything you said. The reenactments I thought were very interesting. At least uh, they they felt like they fit in the, I like they, they gave it like that old timey feel. I love the through line of the reenactments. It almost was like, a movie it was like a movie and there's even times where you're like is this the reenactment I was like yeah it's definitely a reenactment but i thought it felt really in in place the only reason why i gotta give it a three three 3.5 is because i'm thinking of some of the other stuff i've given a four to and i i don't think i like it as much as those but i do like it and i think it's it was one of those things once it when it came out everybody was like i know you, are you watching keep sweet are you watching it so i think i think it was such a good property i loved um listening to the survivor stories I I do think that again I got whiplash from some of where, where we how are we here how did we get here would have loved a little bit more explanation on some places so that's the only thing but again three point five is still great and I and I would I would honestly suggest this to I would recommend this recommend everybody to watch it because like I said I watched it by myself first I was like okay all right okay and then when I watched it with people the second time I thought it it made it even more I really liked it even more because it was a lot of like, <gasps> really? Like everybody was like into it type type of deal. So strongly recommend this property. Uh, Sarah, do you have any recommendations for the listener? Yes, I do. Uh, Natasha, who was so kind as to give us feedback on Captive Audience, also sent a recommendation in. So she says, I have one recommendation, the Netflix documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight. And she's absolutely right. It's such a good documentary. It's it's wild. It's wild. It's, (laughs) It's about a little girl who was kidnapped not once but twice by a family friend. So that's uh, a great recommendation, Natasha, and I'll just add uh, my imprimatur to that. I also would recommend that. And what about you, Murray? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just, that that was a wild documentary. If you have not seen that, have you seen that documentary, Gia? I have not. I've heard so much about it. I Go feel like I it. have watched it, but Go uh, and watch I it. don't. I don't know if I can stuff. I need to wait okay. till I can stomach it right now. But that's true. It's a lot, yeah. but it's it's ridiculous. It gets yeah. to the point where you're like, "This is ridiculous." Okay, so for me, I am going to recommend the Cultish podcast. Um, it was they did a two part podcast where they interviewed one of the survivors, Brielle Decker. 
and we'll we'll put the link in the show notes. But this this interview was back in 2020, and they basically gave Brielle a uh, carte blanche to just kind of tell her story. And it's very interesting if you want to hear like an inside survivor point of view. It's it's a great companion piece to this type of documentary because she they ask her stuff about like Warren Jeffs and the movements and she because she was in it, she didn't know a lot of what was going on from the, you know, oh Warren is on the run the run now. Like, oh Warren's being charged with this, this and that. She doesn't know much about that, but she talks about her time in the FLDS the changes she saw and she was actually married to Warren. She was uh, Warren's like 69th wife or something like that. 68th wife or something like that. And it's a, it's a very good interview. It can be hard to follow at times just because she, um, there's something she's talks about and something she, she seems to skate over, but it, it's a very good podcast if you want to hear directly from a survivor. I also, there is a short, a podcast, a short podcast is about 16 minutes called This is Monsters, the Warren Jeffs, uh, This is Monsters. It's 16 minutes. And if you want the nitty gritty, the really horrible stuff that Warren Jeffs did, you listen to that because that one pulls no punches. It talks about all of the horrendous crimes that he commits against children truly and it's it's 60 minutes it's an easy question mark listen (laughs) (laughs) so those two podcasts are very interesting so oh great recommendations there Murray. thank you yeah at crime scene we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes so you can follow crime scene on twitter uh by uh searching crime scene rhap um that's uh crime scene s-e-e-n RHAP on Twitter, or you can send any long-term questions to our email, crimescenerhap at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our feed to get episodes a day early at robhasawebsite.com forward slash crime feed. Yes. Gia, what do you have going on? Where can the people find you? So much. You can follow me on Twitter for all of my reality TV shenanigans at Classically Giets. And I encourage all Survivor fans or people wanting to get into Survivor to follow the Survivor Diversity campaign, which is at Serve Diversity. That's at S-U-R-V Diversity. Survivor 42 might be done, but the Survivor Diversity campaign is still going strong, especially Mm -hmm. with South African Survivor starting up soon. I'm sure we'll have some great coverage on that. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find me over at Silent Podcast, where I do I Don't Know About That, which is our Survivor coverage. And now that Survivor 42 is done, we have a lot of special episodes coming your way. So I highly recommend you uh-huh. keep an eye out for that. I'm doing some pieces on Survivor South Africa at Inside Survivor. And most recently, I got to join the Real Weird Sisters and the always lovely Sarah Carradine to Uh sort the Survivor 42 cast into Hogwarts houses. And the decisions got very spicy. Very spicy. Maybe a rock draw or two to make the final decision. And it was quite an amazing time we had a great great time as always and it's just a very fun listen nice (laughs) 
Sarah, where can the people find you? Uh, you can follow me at Sarah Carradine. I had the pleasure of sharing one of my favourite Australian movies on Nio Movies on the Brazilian Dragon podcast. I talked about Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds. That's been living rent-free in my head for about 30 years. You can watch that on Prime in the US and Australia. It's free in Australia. I think it's like $1.99 uh, in the US. But if you want to see an extraordinary uh, magical Australian film, then watch that. And then hop onto the podcast and hear my discussion with uh, Naomi and the great Felipe. How about you, Mary? Where can the people find you? Well, every week, me and the great Matt Scott are covering uh, wrestling over on the Wrestling Rehap Up podcast on RHAP, where we bring you the highlights of this week in wrestling. It has been a crazy week. So uh, if you want to go listen to me and Matt talk about it, uh, you can go to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed to subscribe to the Wrestling Rehap Up podcast. You can also find us on YouTube. If you go to the Rob Has a Podcast YouTube page and search Wrestling Rehap Up, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's too like the number two. Um, and I, I, all of my podcasts will be listed there. That that's it for right now. It's just me. It's just wrestling and and, and crime scenes. So it's, it's great. Uh, Big Brother is about to start up soon. So I will be right back at it. Buckle up. <laughs> um, I know in in a few weeks. Um, but just go and follow me on Twitter so you know what what I'm up to. Um, so what are we covering next time, Sarah? So uh, next time on Crime Scene, we're diving into Undercurrent: The Disappearance of Kim Val fascinating case. Uh, we're doing this with a guest, true crime author and podcaster and one of my podcasting heroes, Rebecca Lavoie. So you can watch Undercurrent on HBO Max in the US and on Binge in Australia. And as always, please send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Will from America for the theme music and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time. Case, case Closed. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. 
And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.